Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. But it's a great privilege to look at this uh, passage with you. It's one of the most famous in all of uh, the Bible. Uh, and let me begin by um, uh, reading a, a sort of retelling of it. You might have seen, have you seen these, has anyone seen this book before? Maybe just our family. This, this was one, it's written by a man called Nick Butterworth. It's the same guy who wrote Percy the Park Keeper. Yes, yes, Falco knows. Percy the Park Keeper. Got excellent stories. Um, these are the stories Jesus told. I, um, I had this when I was a boy. Anyway, there's, there's a retelling of the parable of the great pearl. And the telling goes that there was once a, a merchant who was rich and happy. And he is so rich, he has vast amount of money under his, uh, under his mattress, which he keeps in a, a mansion, which has five floors filled with fine furniture. Uh, he has, and I remember this from when I was a boy, he has, uh, let me get this right, three fridges full of fizzy drinks. And four freezers full of fast food, and there are sausages and chips, and I remember that. I was like, that looks, that looks great. And uh, he has, you know, a fountain in the front garden, and he has this fez with a, a feather, which is his favorite hat. And anyway, he has everything he wants. And one day he, he goes out for a walk, and uh, of course he passes a shop and he sees a, a pearl. And he says to himself, I, I must have that pearl. And so he goes home and he sells, sells everything. He sells, uh, all the fridges and all the freezers, the, the mansion, the mattress, even his clothes, everything except, he has his fine fur coat as well, he sells that too, everything except the fares, he keeps the fares, and he, he puts all the money into a wheelbarrow and trundles it to the shop and he tries to buy the pearl and he finds out that he's five pounds short. And so the man in the shop says, tell you what, sell me your fares for a five and I'll give you uh, the pearl. And so of course he does and um, I, I love it. Uh, for, for this picture at the end, I, remember, I still remember this picture from as a boy. So here he is, because it, it just looks so crazy. Here he is with nothing but his nighty on. There's a pair of boxes, you can see, he's still got those. And the pearl, and, and what it says here, it says, Jesus says, God is like the merchant's pearl. It costs everything to know him, but he is worth more than anything in the world. It's really well uh, written, really aptly put. I remember one time I was, I was reading that story to Lily. She was, a, I think she was about one and a half at the time. And um, as it happened, that very same day, I'd had a conversation with, um, with a couple who were, who were walking away from Jesus. They, um, they wanted to be in a relationship that Jesus said was wrong. And uh, I was reading this story to Lily, and by the end of it, I was, I was in tears. And I said to Lily, Lily, it's It's true. Jesus is worth everything. Lily, don't give up anything for Jesus. Give up everything for him. And uh, poor Lily was probably thinking, what is wrong with Daddy? He's read me this many times before. But of course, it's, it is true. Sometimes when we make costly decisions, we can wonder, was that, was that worth it? And nowhere is that more true than in the Christian life. Whether we're considering becoming a Christian or whether we've been Christians for many, many years, whether we're sacrificing something for the thousandth time, or whether we're at a crossroads and considering sacrificing something for the first time, we can wonder, is this worth it? And the world 
is constantly saying to us, this is a nonsense, there's no point doing it. The devil is saying he's definitely not worth it. Our flesh is quite happy for us to live for ourselves. But Jesus tells us this parable to remind us that whatever it costs us, he is worth it. And I've got um, two points for us this evening. They're very simple. They're just Nick, Nick Busserworth's ones. Knowing Jesus will cost you everything, but he is worth more than anything in the world. So firstly, knowing Jesus will cost you everything. It's uh, one of the most obvious common features of these two parables. In both, the men sell everything. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. And the point is, if you want to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, you must, in some sense or another, sell everything. And that would be very obvious to us if we lived in somewhere, a place like North Korea. Of course, it might cost me everything. If we lived in Afghanistan or Nigeria at the moment, for many in the world it is a stark choice. Following Jesus or the possibility of a job, following Jesus or my family's safety, following Jesus or just simply staying alive. The thing here, though, in this country is it may not be so obvious. Because many people in this country will take the name of Christian and it will cost them very little indeed. A lot of people will say to Jesus, Jesus, you can have my Sunday morning, maybe a Sunday evening if you're very lucky, perhaps another evening in the week, and I'll try and be a nice person. But how I use my money... What I do with my time, who I date, how I raise my children, is for me to decide. Many people take the name of Christian and effectively treat Jesus like a good mate whose advice they can take or leave, or like a genie in the sky to grant their wishes and forgive their sin. But Jesus is not a good mate. He's not a genie in the sky. He is the king of heaven. These parables begin... Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. If you ask the question, how does one enter the kingdom of heaven? It's obvious, I'm sure, that the the answer isn't you go to a geographical place. The answer is you submit your life to the king. And that costs everything. This is a very simple illustration. There are some people whom to know it costs. So an example would be your boss. When, um, when we sign the contract, we enter the employee-employer relationship. We have to promise to do a certain number of hours of work, fulfill a number of duties, and perhaps even be a certain sort of person. And that can, that can cost you. Another example would be um, when you get married. I suppose it's really obvious. But uh, when you get married, when you have a spouse, it will, it will cost you. I mean, think about if you got married in the Church of England, you will promise to say, I will honor you, love you, and protect you, and forsaking all others, be faithful unto you until death do us part. You say, no matter what happens, all that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. Which, in my case, when I got married, was not very much at all. (laughs) But you get the point. It costs to know your boss, it costs to be married to your spouse, and it costs to know Jesus, and it costs everything, because the relationship we have with him is not that of a boss, 
It is that of a bridegroom, but it's more than that. It is that of a king and a God who demands our life and our souls and our all. Everything that we have, everything that we do, everything that we love, he demands to rule over it. He demands to rule over our investments, our money, our relationships to friends and parents and children and spouses. He says, whoever would be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And he tells stories about men who sold everything because we must surrender all to him. It may not literally mean that we sell all, but it certainly means that we ask him and seek in his word to find out what he would have us do with it all. And he even demands of us whatever our equivalent is of the favorite fez uh, with a feather. I don't know what that is uh, for you. It might, might be a collection of cash. That would be a very common thing to try and ring fence from Jesus. Maybe a, an ambition or a career or a relation. Maybe a grudge. I remember very clearly when I, um, when I was at university, I, that's when I finally figured out, after many years of my mum and dad bashing it into my head, I finally figured out that Jesus had to be my king. I had two great loves in my life. I loved uh, Babington and I loved my... Uh, non-Christian girlfriend. And God in his kindness sorted out the badminton for me. I turned up at the university trials. I beat everyone I played with and they didn't want me in the team because I don't look very good when I play. It was very kind of God. I was very grumpy at the time, but it was very good for me. The other one was more difficult. And uh, I wanted to do everything I could to ring fence that part of my life from the rule of Jesus. I'd say, Jesus, you can have everything else but you cannot have her. And maybe, maybe that's you right now, in one way or another. Maybe you know there's an area of your life that you are trying to ring fence from the rule of Jesus Christ. But the truth is we can only know Jesus on his terms. And his terms are the terms of a sovereign Lord of heaven. He demands everything. Knowing Jesus will cost you everything. And when you give him everything, that looks mad. uh, One of the reasons I I love this uh, story so much, there's a millionaire running down the street with nothing but his boxes and a pearl. And I still remember as a boy thinking, why does he want a pearl? You know, you think of a young boy, what on earth do you want that for? It's completely useless. The sausages would have been more useful. But just imagine, the, imagine it happened. Imagine the story. Um, you know, that he comes home, and there he is, happy as Larry, selling all his stuff. Imagine he had a wife. Imagine what she said. Dear, why are you selling the sofa? Uh, well, there's this pearl I, I want to buy. Where, uh, where are we going to sit to watch the TV? Oh, I'm, I'm selling that too. In fact, I'm selling the house. I beg your pardon. <laughs> You can imagine how it goes. Maybe she thought he was mad. Maybe she would leave. You're insane. And maybe I don't need to tell this to you. You already know that. Maybe you come to church every week, read your Bible and pray, and your family wonder if you've been brainwashed by a cult. Maybe your colleagues think you are daft for living a lifestyle that's half as nice as theirs because you're giving so much away. Maybe uh, I was hearing a story about a, I think it was a 13-year-old. In her class, she was, um, the teacher asked, okay, show of hands, uh, which ones of you are pro-choice? 
Every single one of her friends, or everyone in the cast, put her hands up. Okay, which one of you are pro-life? She alone put her hand up and then was ribbed for the rest of the day. Maybe your friends who are now not really your friends think you're crazy because you gave up a promising career to be at home with the children and you submit to your husband. Can you imagine that? And they don't get it. Why is Jesus so precious? He's not that precious, is he? A sausage would be more useful than him. And sometimes that can get us to ask. And sometimes the pain of the the sacrifice can make us ask, am I mad? Maybe you're asking that, tracking your family out here on the evenings, or plugging away trying to tell your friends about Jesus. Or uh, you haven't given your money away to the point that now you can't repair that problem at home that you would like to. Or realizing, you know, not not being willing to marry a a non-Christian may well mean that you never get married. Or forgiving your friend for the millionth time. And who knows, maybe it'll be this year. Maybe this is the year where doctors and school teachers will start to lose their jobs for not agreeing with LGBTQ plus rights. Maybe this is the year that Stephen will get thrown into prison because of conversion therapy laws. I don't know. What I do know is that if it happens, we'll be asking ourselves, am I doing the right thing? The whole point of the story is that in the end, if all your family called you mad, and all your friends left you, and you lost all your wealth, your career, your home, and you ended up persecuted and beaten and imprisoned, and so that all you had left in your life was your boxers and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then even if you lost your life, you would still have everything that is worth having. At the end of the story, both men have nothing but a field and a pearl that cost them all, and they are over the moon. Because though knowing Jesus will cost you everything, he is worth more than anything in all the world. It's the second thing. Verse 44. It's the most obvious thing, really. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. It's funny, joking about um, how knowing your spouse costs you. It is a joke, I was joking. Uh, You could continue the joke now. Weddings. They cost a lot as well. I don't know if you've noticed, they seem to be very expensive nowadays. And uh, you you could think about it like this. You could thinking... Here they are making all these very hard and difficult promises to each other and spending a lot of money doing it. Why is everyone so happy? It's a very strange thing, isn't it? Why is everyone so happy at a wedding when they're spending all this money and making all these hard prophecies? It's very weird. But of course it isn't weird. Because we know that some things are so precious and so worth it that they're worth making all the costs. We, at a wedding, celebrate something so good that all the costs are worth it. And indeed, sometimes the costs aren't even really bad for us. What does exactly does it cost you to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, for one thing, it costs you your sin. Your sin that was ruining your life. We can think that obedience to Jesus is going to weigh us down until we start to rear, and we find it similar to what it must feel like for a whale who's been floundering on the beach finally to make their way back to the ocean. It costs us our ease to follow Jesus. But we were not made to live easy lives. And often it costs us good things. 
good things. But the reality is that these things can never satisfy us. And these things we would lose anyway. It is a great irony that the very things that we try and ring fence from the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will lose anyway. Sometimes in this life, I remember another good friend walking away from Jesus. Um, In his case, he'd fallen in love with another guy. And he left Jesus for him. And uh, after a month, they had broken up. And uh, it, was, it was absolutely gutting. But even if they'd been happily married all their lives, not that it is a marriage, but even if they'd been happy together all their lives, they'd have lost each other eventually. In the end, we must leave it all behind. You and I will not have a career one day. We'll have to say goodbye to our families. Our money will be passed on to others and our reputation will fade with our bodies. But he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And you will never lose Jesus. I don't know you guys. I don't know what you've had to give up for Jesus. Maybe you think not very much. Maybe for some of you it has been an awful lot indeed. I want you to think for a moment. What has it cost you to follow Jesus? What is the greatest cost you've made for him? Well, imagine for a moment that it's a person. People are the most precious. Let's say it's a a family member who doesn't want to speak to you anymore. Or a friend who wants nothing more to do with you. And you think they are lovely and beautiful and funny and capable. You have wonderful memories together. You brought each other joy and you thought life would not be life without them. But if you have the Lord Jesus Christ... You have the one who painted their beauty. You have the one who imagined their humor. You have the one who gave them their personality. You have the life of their life. From where does their loveliness, their goodness, their truth come from? If not from him who is eternal goodness, truth and loveliness. Whatever we have lost for Jesus is a creature. And all creatures reflect to some extent some of the glories of God, which is why we love them. Some of his perfections, which is why they're precious. If you have Jesus, you have the reflection of the Father, the image in whom all his fullness dwells. How lovely must he be, who is the source of all our goodness, truth, and beauty. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not simply have something in the creation, but the simple and glorious creator who mediates his goodness to us in a million creaturely ways. The glory of God is on display in this room in a thousand ways, if only we had eyes to see it. But in Jesus, it's on display infinitely. And one day we will see him. And that one sight, that one sight of the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it lasted for a moment, would make up for all the sorrows of this life, no matter how many, how great, and how severe. Jesus is the pearl of great price. He is the son of the father. And if we had our heads screwed on, we would not ask, is following Jesus worth it? We would not ask, do I want him? 
course we want him. We would ask, why on earth would he want me? A sinner who has done wretched things, who has ignored and disobeyed him, who deserves hell. There is another way of reading this parable. The obvious sense is that we are to become like the merchant, to become like the man who sold all and found the treasure. But in another sense, Christ sold all to make us his treasure. And so not ceasing to be what he was, he became what he was not. The eternal was made in time. The infinite became finite. God became man. And his family did call him mad. And all his friends left him. And he had nowhere to lay his head. And he was persecuted and beaten. He was mocked and slandered. His clothes were stripped from him. And his career led him to a cross. But there he died for the sins of his people, to make them his treasure, to bring them to the loving arms of his father, and to save them forevermore. My friends, there is no greater treasure than the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us put our trust in him. No matter who we are, no matter what we have done, let us come to him as our Lord and our God. Let us follow him this year. No matter what it costs us. Because he is worth it. He is so worth it. Don't give up anything. Don't give up him for anything. Give up everything for him. And if we find ourselves disheartened, discouraged, at a loss, let us remind ourselves that we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him the Father, which is eternal life itself. Let's pray. Lord God, we are amazed that you would want anything to do with us. And yet not only do you want something to do with us, you bring us to know you as our Father, through your Son and by your Spirit. Father, please would you help us to worship you to praise you and to value you above all things. Help us to prize you. Father, please would you give us the strength to sacrifice whatever is necessary this year for Christ. Please, Father, would you help us to lay down our lives for him and to rejoice because you are so good to us. And Father, please help us to look forward to that day when we will see you. And we ask it in the precious name of your Son. Amen.